and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia, and here's my co-host Morgan. Hello. So this week we are talking about the Muppet Treasure Island, which is a request from Patreon uh, user Emilia, who paid for one of our Patreon tiers to request a movie. Kind of weirdly unseasonal for us, I'm afraid, because I know that a lot of people have been recently re-watching Christmas Carol, but um, we have a long backlog of movies, so this is when we're slotting this one into the schedule. Um, so I feel like I don't need to go into much detail for the plot of Treasure Island, but um, this is a surprisingly accurate adaptation of the book by Robert Louis Stevenson, which is about a young boy named Jim Hawkins who uh, finds or receives a treasure map which takes him to an island with treasure in it. And the other main character is Long John Silver, who is a dastardly pirate who is secretly undercover as the ship's cook on the ship that's going to find this treasure. And he kind of takes over with his dastardly pirate wiles and uh and it's kind of a it's a it's a kind of coming of age story for young Jim. Uh the book itself I did try to reread recently uh, because of my love of Black Sails, which is a technical prequel to the book. And uh, the book is corny as hell, so I actually would far prefer to be watching a Muppet movie than reading that book. <laughs> I saw this movie when I was a kid. I did not watch Black Sails because I tried the first episode or two and did not care for it. Our largest cultural divergence of recent truly, times. Truly horrifying to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have not read the book because it's not really something that you read unless you have a specific interest in the story for other reasons or, or in, you're 10 yes well i was gonna say or in like victorian children's literature right which for some of for instance my colleagues of my master's program did this was a massive popular story in the time in which it was published for young boys and it's still sort of historically interesting in that way Robert Louis Stevenson was an interesting figure because he did write these kind of mainstream adventure stories for young people. Again, boys in particular were the audience intended. Very much. I yeah. I, th- I think when I got, or like one of my friends had a copy for Treasure Island, maybe it was Elizabeth actually, her copy literally says like a book for boys or something. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, in the late 1800s, this sort of um mainstream children's fiction which i think was kind of the first time you got this sort of thing a lot of it was yeah because a lot of it was either sort of like moralizing there was a lot of kind of moralizing books or literal fairy tales that were very kind of schmaltzy and then treasure island is like it's an edgy thriller yeah so a lot of this kind of thing would be specifically prescribed for boys or for girls and stevenson wrote a fair amount of this kind of thing and then he also wrote fiction for adults like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde which is still a genre story but was considered I had forgotten he wrote that (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that's again still a genre story but is you know considered a more serious work which it is it's good and interesting and um entertainingly is a Scottish aside is technically set in London, which I literally did not remember. I was having a conversation um, with a friend of ours recently about this because it is so transparently set in Edinburgh, where he was from. I mean, from. there's also like a ton of tours. Like if you go to Edinburgh, it's like right. the Dr. Jekyll tour. Yes, like it is so clearly Edinburgh that in my mind, I had remembered it as being in Edinburgh because I have spent some time in Edinburgh. And no, it's tech- it's like supposedly London, which is very funny. But anyway, he's a kind of interesting figure in that way but that's the only stuff i've read from him because i was like why would i spend time reading like kidnapped or 
Treasure yeah. Island. I, I feel like I started Kidnapped when I was a kid and then did not reach the end, which was rare for me because I was an absolute bookworm and just read everything. But um, it must have been a real a real bore. I mean, I think with Treasure Island, kind of if you read the the uncut version now, it's just like, ugh. <laughs> no, and it's just it's so cheesy. Um, but it basically invented the pirate genre. Like, it kind of arrived at the point where, for the past like hundred years, people had been reading a ton of quasi non-fiction pirate stories. So, like, basically, people were making them up, but they were supposedly about real figures, and it was sort of news articles, and it was very sort of gory and shocking and fun and sexy. And this was like, here are the genre conventions for writing. Um, uh, like writing a story about pirates so he literally invented the concept of the black spot which is wild because it kind of feels now like it's something that even maybe existed in real life and just feels like a quintessential element of the genre but this itself was kind of a pastiche which now has been pastiched by absolutely everything coming after especially pirates of the caribbean yeah i mean you can even just watching this muppet movie <laughs> you can sort of tell that that a lot of that stuff came from that and so then this film is kind of interesting because it's obviously, you know, do it, it's very much a Muppet film, but then doing this other pre-existing material, which of course is what a lot of the Muppet films are doing, um, but it's a mixture of their tropes and then this other stuff. And as you said, is apparently a very faithful adaptation, which I would not know because I am not very familiar with the source material, but um. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting movie in that it doesn't really have a plot. But also the book is very you know, much like we're going to go from right. point A to point B just with yeah. like a huge amount of detail in the middle because it's a Victorian novel. I mean, most Victorian novels, I don't know. I didn't want you to slander my period. Like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? When they just sort of put like a bunch of filler in, which just wouldn't be allowed now. Well, that's more a serial thing. Okay. Right? Because for a serial you would have to just have many, many parts because that's what you were paid for. And so you'd be like, well, I guess we're just going to have more more detail about this thing because uh, we need to string you along. I apologize more. for my ignorance then. <laughs> yes. Thank you. But, like, I, so I, I watched this movie as a kid and I liked it, although it wasn't something that we had, like, on regular rotation in our house. And I haven't seen it since I was very little. And my main memory of it was definitely the Long John Silver character who was played gloriously by Tim Curry. In oh my gosh. Love him. So excellent. But watching it again, I was sort of like, oh, nothing really happens in this. <laughs> like, they don't actually set out on their voyage until a third of the way through the film. And really very little occurs until they're like on get to the island, which is maybe halfway through. And I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, this must be a problem with the book. That yeah. like, there just isn't action. It's very hard to structure it because like the way they've got it is they're basically just putting major kind of plot point scenes interspersed with songs, which obviously is like how you do this kind of film. But like in other stories, the structure works more like for kind of just a traditional children's musical or whatever. Whereas this it is kind of like, well... Some events have happened, but we're going to definitely make this amazing with really good songs. And the songs are great. They were all very fun. <laughs> yes. But one of the things that was, again, kind of interesting to me watching, and I will confess up top that I did not love this film, was that the songs were very much just like 
digressions, with perhaps the exception of um, the one big number that Tim Curry gets when it's sort of been revealed that actually his he's this dastardly pirate and not just cook. He gets a big musical number and it's so awesome like it's, it's so, so good i don't know why they didn't give tim curry of all people more musical numbers in this movie but that's neither here nor there a lot of the musical numbers not all of them like there's one at the beginning where jim who's the young boy kind of sings about wanting to go on an adventure or whatever there it's are the few... most traditional song but also by far my least favorite because oh, i just it's like so all the boring ones that are really so boring. really catchy fun muppet songs with lots of dancing muppets are clearly superior Right. And so there are, you have these songs that are just Muppet songs that don't have anything to do with the plot. And they're really fun because the Muppets are fun, but they're not doing anything for the story. And I think that kind of reflects the problem with the movie, right? That the story itself is so kind of anemic that they have to just be like, well, we need a fun song now to keep the kids engaged with this. Whereas I saw recently um, for the first time in a long time, although I had rewatched this in college at one point, uh, The Lion King, which was maybe my favorite movie when I was a kid. And everything in that is in the service of the story, right? Like the musical numbers, all the scenes, all the plot, like it has an incredibly focused arc. Well, you can thank Shakespeare and Elton John. Correct. Um, two two and, of England's finest. Yes. <laughs> And like that movie is, I think, legitimately one of the best films ever made. Period. Like, not. I even mean, his best it's a masterpiece, film. and I know we're digressing quite a lot here, but it's fucking wild that they're remaking that shit. Like, what a bad idea! I, I am, it looks appalling. I know this is also this is Morgan's personal bugbear, but like, oh my god, my head is just <laughs> exploding. Like, I, I'm so infuriated about it. I was mad about it before I even rewatched it, and then I rewatched it, and I was like, this is making me like cry children in the audience are like losing their minds a man like a full-grown man on the back after the first number was like wow like that's how good that movie is the fact they're remaking it with this terrible fucking cgi animation like don't even start it's it's appalling so like it's not really fair to compare anything to that movie because it is perfect it is a masterpiece but it does provide a kind of good template for what a movie of this type should be, right? And this movie is a lot weirder than The Lion King, and in certain ways that's really fun. But it also fails in certain ways. And a lot of that is the script, I think, in terms of structure, which, again, is sort of coming from the novel. So if you start right at the beginning, I was thinking, like, wow, this take is taking a long time to get going, but also isn't doing a great job of like setting up these characters right at the beginning. So you meet Jim, the boy, and then also um, Gonzo and oh, what's the rat's Rizzo name? the rat. Rizzo, I can never remember, but like, of course, they're very familiar characters and they don't need any introduction really, because if you know the Muppets, you know who they are and they're always delightful and funny. But Jim is the boy who's technically the protagonist of the story. And he is being played by a young gentleman whose name I do not know. Cause he's Kevin not. something, but I mean, he became, he is now, he's not like an actor. He's like a TV presenter, kind yeah. of stand up comic kind of thing in Britain. It is not a performance for the ages shall we say. And there's there's a puzzling Muppet uh, kind of mullet situation going on with him as well. It's a very 90s situation. I will say that if someone was like, what are the personality traits of Jim Hawkins in the book? I would have to say protagonist. Right. <laughs> 
I mean, like, the, they weren't, they weren't thing, big on. <laughs> like, I don't think it's a great performance. He can't sing, which is not his fault. So I was sort of like, why have they chosen this child who cannot sing for this movie where he has to sing? I actually looked this up. So what happened is his voice broke. So oh, they had no. to use his audition tape voice oh, no. as like the, the audio. So it's like, oh, it wasn't his best moment. But also they could have just maybe just hired a different singer and just done that with syncing. But you know, it. yeah. Anyway, but also the writing doesn't really give him much to do, right? And it's so important right at the beginning of a script for like a, you know, a traditional movie like this with a traditional sort of story structure to establish the main characters instantaneously. Like I just watched on Friday also, this has nothing to do with this movie, but I've been thinking a lot about like screenwriting and story structure. Um, I watched the old Billy Wilder Sabrina, which is like the first version of Sabrina. And I think that movie has some problems, but like the first couple scenes, if anyone is interested in screenwriting are genius because like, you know, immediately what the Audrey Hepburn character, the Humphrey Bogart character, and the William Holden character are about. Like, you just know them instantly because it's so sort of well set up. And in this, I was like, what's this kid's deal? Like, why am I supposed to care about him? Like, he wants to get out of the his job, but it's sort of like, oh, okay. Well, this is kind of one of the things with the Muppet movies in general. They're like a genre unto themselves, and it's like a very specific format that everyone loves but i wish we'd had time to watch a christmas carol because i know yeah. that's kind of the biggest one and we could have done a dual one it's seasonal but we didn't have time but kind of the thing that everyone kind of says about a christmas carol is that michael kane intentionally played it extremely straight you know he, he he isn't like an actor with an enormous amount of range but he can do serious drama roles and he does also does quite a lot of like silly comedy movies too and he was like, I'm going to play this. Like, I'm doing the fucking Globe Theatre. Like, he just absolutely plays it like a serious drama with Muppets, just interacting with the Muppets really seriously. And obviously, that's not what Tim Curry's doing here. He's going in the opposite direction. But in both of those instances, you've got an actor who's giving a very specific kind of performance. And that's kind of why there's, you know, there's like a meme where it's like, oh, if you were going to remake this story with the Muppets who would you pick as the one human actor, right? And the problem here is that like a child star does not have the range to be the human who's got any kind of like personal em- energy in the movie. Because at the beginning of this movie, my friends and I are all watching this like, oh, I assume Kermit's going to be Jim. And we were like, oh shit, this like random boy is going to be Jim. I don't care about the boy. I don't care about Jim in the book. And I certainly don't care about a little boy. I only care about Tim Curry and Muppets. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like Kermit plays the captain of the ship and it's very fun like he's very i mean who doesn't love kermit kermit is obviously fun. you cannot go wrong with kermit no um <laughs> and one of the sort of jokes is that like sam the eagle plays the first mate and it's like the captain is the most terrifying like you know etc etc like he's gonna kill everyone if they make a one misstep and then kermit comes on and it's just like kermit and it's like very pleasant <laughs> and and it's really funny but yeah, that hadn't occurred to me, but him being the main character would have made much more sense, I think. And then you wouldn't have had this problem. And like, I'm being harsh on the child actor, and I don't think he's very good, but it's really, oh no, like, I mean, it's, it's not it's his just, fault, right? It's like, just he's, like a role you know, that doesn't, yeah. <laughs> it's, there are no, it would have taken a, like, absolute genius, like, prodigy child to make this work at all. And there are many of those. And also, as we all know, Long John Silver is the star of the show. Oh, yeah. Like, in any 
type. Like he is the character people remember. It's also the like the mere concept of a pirate is literally just Long John Silver. You gotta have a dumb name. You gotta have a peg leg. You gotta have a parrot. Those are the things you have to have. You give people the black spot. You're untrustworthy. That's all of the shit. And then they made a whole TV series about him. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is by far the best thing about this movie. He gets the best part. He is Tim Curry. So he's just like vamping it up like crazy. And it's Can so we just talk fun. about Tim Curry for a while? Yes. <laughs> I, I do mean, love please. Mr. Curry. And I, the thing about Tim Curry is I, I imagine there must be some people out there who don't like him. And people are free to have that opinion, but it is baffling to me. Um, I just, But I just wish he was in more big movies because obviously his zone is B-movies. So he started off with the Rocky Horror Show, which is like his most famous role where he plays Frankenfurter and is just incredible. And then he's done just dozens and dozens and dozens of B-movies, um, usually playing villains. He's done like video games. He's done a lot of voice acting, especially like in his older age. And Morgan and I sadly found out that um, in the past few years he did have a stroke. So now he's in a wheelchair and he's kind of only doing voice work. But um, he like never did like a really big mainstream movie as far as I can recall. Or maybe he did, but like only in kind of smaller roles. And it's just like, no, this man is a genius. But it's a genius of a very specific type of acting where (laughs) it's just massively over the top and he pulls a lot of faces and he's very melodramatic. It's not bad acting. It is just a lot of acting. (laughs) Well, it's very... And he looks fantastic. (laughs) It's very um, musical theatre. Yes. Acting, right? I do not say that, obviously, in any kind of pejorative way, but it needs to be applied in a specific context. So this is why I was like, why have they only given him one musical number? And there's even a joke in the musical number about how it's his only number in the movie. And I was like, no, give me more. (laughs) Because, and it also, like, after the, you know, this poor kid who is singing so badly, I now understand why. Then when Tim Curry starts to sing, you're like, Oh, because he sounds like a, you know, musical theater singer. It's not like he has the best voice in the world, but like it is a particular kind of singing and he can really do it. Um, and obviously there's, you know, Rocky Horror is a musical and, and he's just very compelling in that context. And it's interesting because obviously a lot of people who do theater don't care to do film stuff because their talents are like are a specific thing and like it doesn't necessarily translate and vice versa and he has the skill where he does everything it is very musical theatery but it works on screen i mean but it has has to be the right kind of million bajillion roles yes oh i know he's worked (laughs) so it's (laughs) but like it, it, it you're right that it is a particular kind of thing I'm trying to remember. I have. We were talking about before we recorded a little bit. I haven't seen Clue in a very long time. My younger brother was obsessed with it when we were growing up, so he played it for like he did that thing that kids do where you just play the same movie like every single day for several months, and one of those movies was Clue. But as I recall, isn't he sort of tamped down for a while on that, and then he sort of goes gets well. Crazier? He plays the butler character, right. doesn't he? So yes. for the first half of the film, he's just butlering away. Yeah. And then obviously he goes bonkers because that's why you hire Tim Curry. Correct. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of these kind of better known film roles, like he's done a ton of theater, but I think like 
in the 80s, he played like a couple of villain roles. Like he was in Legend with Tom Cruise, which I remember enjoying tremendously. And kind of a couple of others of that ilk. Um, him and Tom Cruise in the same movie, I can't even imagine. I That's cannot fathom. Although an interesting fact that you will not be interested to know at all about Tim Curry is that while we all think that he is very tall, he's 5'9", so there wouldn't have been too much of a height disparity there. <laughs> I'm glad that you could provide us that information <laughs> predictably. It's just that it's like, obviously his, his most famous role is wearing gigantic platform heels in the Rocky Horror, so we would never know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Well, he's great in this. He's just he's just really fun, and he does a very good job acting with the Muppets because he's a great actor. So I love really his works. enormous mouth. He has about twelve million teeth, and he <laughs> utilizes them very alarmingly. <laughs> he also has a terrible wig in a very enjoyable way. Yeah, it's one it of those is. wigs where they're like they're really half-assing it because they're just like, well, we're gonna put a scarf over the top so it doesn't matter, which is right. what they do with a lot of a lot of pirate roles, like the kind of the good old Jack Sparrow wig, where it's like, well, we don't need to do a lace front here. <laughs> yes, it's like some curls coming off the back of his head that are transparently attached to to the scarf, like it's, it's fine. Um, Although when we were watching it, it was quite funny because like. I think basically everyone I watched it with has watched either all or most of Black Sails, where the young John Silver is kind of nominally one of the protagonists. Obviously a very different interpretation, um, but they were all like, my God, this is actually very authentic to the way, the way that he appears in the show. Because like, you know, it's like the, the, the core elements of the character are very much there in both. And it's pretty wild because, uh, as I said, the book's not great, but... You know, he's this kind of manipulative figure. He kind of disguises himself as a cook and just sort of preys on and manipulates innocent idiot young men. <laughs> and that's really it's really just what happens in Black Sails. We will listen we will list our Black Sails episode in the show notes for this, by the way. If you are a more recent listener and have not heard me going on about this show, it is the best show ever made alongside Hannibal. It is a masterpiece. And while it is technically a prequel to Treasure Island, it is so much more. It is an amazing anti-imperial queer love story with lots of fighting and cool pirate ships. I have no nothing to say about Black Sails. I did not watch it. You recorded an episode with other people about Black <laughs> yes, Sails. Yes, this is, this is one of a couple of episodes we've done where one of us is not there. And this is, I, I brought in my I believe Black Sails expert. it is the only episode. The only in episode? Fact, oh, wow. Singular. Yeah, okay. yes. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts? I guess I mean, we just we just discussed a little already about the faithfulness of this. But do you have any other um, thoughts on this as an adaptation? Because I have no context for the source material, and I haven't read the whole book. But you know more. Yeah, than I mean, I, do. I can't. Re- I didn't read the latter half of the book, so I was like, I'm piecing out now. Like, so yeah. all, all of the characters are in the first half of the book our characters in this they have like billy Connolly's playing one of the characters and then they got one of the the creepy muppets playing like the the blind frenchman who shows up at the beginning and all of the characters are on the ship um i have no memory of whether miss piggy's interlude has any relation i think miss piggy's interlude may be the one element of the story where they were just like we've made something up um but i don't remember yeah although they have to get miss piggy in there somewhere and correct her presence in this film is why the movie ended up getting sued by the manufacturers of spam 
<laughs> Go on. <laughs> yeah, Elaborate. So there was, I know. So there was, in this film, for I guess some people who are listening to this episode may not have watched it recently. So most of it is like, oh, we've got some pirate stuff. And in a contemporary version, I think they probably would have like gender swapped some of the roles because every single person in this movie is a man. <laughs> apart yep. from like an innkeeper at the beginning but they do have to have miss piggy in there because obviously we all love miss piggy and uh, she's kind of like the queen of like an island pig civilization <laughs> so there's like a tribal pig dance routine which is quite something and they all refer to one of the characters as like spam like ma'am but spam and so so the horrible foods corporation who are the people who manufacture spam, were like, Jim Henson, we're taking you to court. (laughs) And this became like quite a widely covered news item at the time because it was pretty fucking funny that spam was trying to sue the Muppets because everyone (laughs) loves the Muppets and that's fucking ridiculous. Um, And basically the judge threw out of court with an amazing quote, which was, um, they said, they, they were like, you've definitely not proven that this movie has damaged your reputation at all. And it said, one might think that Horrible would welcome the association with a genuine source of pork. Oh my god. Did they ever sue Monty Python, I wonder? Things, oh god. Things to look up. Um, <laughs> wow. That is remarkable. I don't think I even noticed that they were saying that word. I did not, and it's possible that they redid it for the home release or something, because I, you know, there's a character in there who is called Spam, but yeah. I didn't notice. I mean, that is the worst part of the film. That whole yeah. situation. I mean, Miss Piggy yeah. is very fun because she's it's always Piggy. very She fun. is an icon and a role model. Yes. But the whole, like, island tribe of native dubious, pigs. Dubious. Very dubious. It's very unfortunate. It reminded me of the whole Peter Pan situation with the Native American tribe that he encounters. And they keep, the thing about Peter Pan as well is, like, they keep remaking it. And they, they keep doing that. And it's like, you don't have to. You can make all, you can make because I think there was whichever most recent Pan Peter Pan there Wright was film. Pan right and there was this whole situation with it's like they had like Rooney Mara yeah that was it yeah they mm-hmm. had Rooney Mara who is famously very white <laughs> in a kind of yes. a, a, what I think would usually the word garb would be used <laughs> the only time when the word garb is used is in this kind of context and it was and then the director was sort of like well you know obviously in the original book they are Native American characters. Um, but now we've decided that the Lost Boys and all these people, they've kind of created their own culture. And it's like, you can't just do that. Like, <laughs> you can't just be like, well, we've got this white actress who's wearing this outfit, which is sort of nominally somewhat fake Halloween costume, Native American inspired, but it's all fantasy, really. So whatever. And it's just like, just just read a book. Crack open a piece of analysis now and then, you dummies. Nope. <laughs> Um, but this 90s kids movie is like you know whatever it's I mean as... it's just very much like of it's time yeah I mean right? this one it was it's just something where like they would have made a slightly different creative decision now so I'm not gonna be like oh the Muppet Treasure Island's problematic like no Pan however can fuck off yeah no I mean I didn't find this like massively offensive but I it bothered me it was a bit I like oh, a little bit of a raised eyebrow on that one with I the like, pig Ugh. tribe and there were a couple other like slightly iffy gender moments um that weren't like oh i hate this movie but it was interesting to be like oh things have changed somewhat Especially in the culture since, like because of like the brand of the muppets like the muppets and sesame street obviously they kind of 
operate on slightly different tones and age ranges but the Muppets have this brand as being like they're not kind of vocally political but they are definitely sort of like left-wing kind of progressive hippie characters yes they are not the type of characters where it's like oh we're gonna have like an offensive joke right which you do get in like some children's franchises um so it's just kind of like a sign of the way things have like evolved yes definitely i was gonna say something else before we got onto that digression about miss piggy and i no longer recall what that thing was did you watch the muppets as a kid no this was the only muppet thing that I watched. I watched Sesame Street. My parents basically only allowed us to watch PBS and Disney animated films. Oh yeah, I knew about that, but I was so... wondering if, yeah, I, I was like, I wonder if Sesame Street is, <laughs> Muppets are apparently not included in the Disney animated film. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously the Muppets are so unobjectionable, but it just didn't, they did not, and like we watched this movie, but yeah, um, it was a Because I didn't, obviously like, diet without a tv like i didn't i didn't really see any of this stuff but it was kind of part of my general cultural experience i was at least vaguely aware of who the characters were yeah i mean i definitely like i i must i saw definitely saw some other stuff because i was very familiar with like kermit right Mm. and like miss piggy but i didn't see they must have had some other tv stuff well i think kermit just appears on tv really regularly and has done because Kermit appeared as a TV character, like on talk shows and stuff, before yeah. there was a Muppet show. Yeah. Yeah, just the actual movies I had not seen. I don't even really know what the rest of them are, except for A Christmas Carol. Well, there's a space one. And obviously there's like the recent one. There was one that came out like yes. three years ago or something, which I saw and was like, this is very good. But recently there was a, like they had like an adult rated Muppet show reboot that was on HBO, unless that was the adult Sesame Street. I and it was like, cause do I not saw, remember this. Yeah, it was like 2015. And it was, in my opinion, a very dubious creative choice. Like, I don't think it got <laughs> like, I don't think it got like critically panned or anything. It only ran for like a year or something, but it was like, it was kind of the same sort of fourth wall breaking concept where they had all of the Muppet characters, Kermit and what have you, and they are all kind of in like a TV studio and they're trying to like figure out what their next project is kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like I remember kind of from watching the first episode, like they had like Kermit was dating sort of like a younger, sexier pig. Oh, <laughs> and, no. and I think Fozzie Bear was gay. And there was kind of a joke about it. It's like, well, when you put your list yourself as a bear on Grinder, then like they expect something else. Oh my God. <laughs> so it was oh like, and, but it wasn't, it wasn't sort of like edgy humor in the South Park sense, but I was just like, I just feel like this content is better served when you have this type of sense of humor, but it's for eight year olds because they're the fucking Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, I think it only lasted for like one season. Um, but I think that was literally because there was this sale where, because capitalism is bad, PBS like got its funding cut and had to sell the Muppets to HBO. And then HBO was like, well, what does our audience love? Cursing. <laughs> and it's like, no, there are already mediocre par- parodies of Sesame Street and the Muppets where you have adult, adult Muppets swearing and none of them are actually very good. So yeah, I mean, there's plenty of puppet stuff with like bad yeah. adult jokes. I do know that Sesame Street now airs on HBO, which is grotesque. Yes. Um, 
I think it eventually makes its way to public television. I would like assume that a... it's public TV everywhere outside America because it's an international brand and they have different versions for different countries. Yeah. And they all have like, they're all kind of the same, I guess, like societal concept, which is that they're meant to be like really kind of educational and wholesome for like three-year-olds. Yes. I mean, I certainly hope it's not on HBO everywhere because that's just, it's so depressing. We did watch Sesame Street a lot as kids in my household. But like I sort of going back to my younger brother, like I have so much of a more vivid memory of the stuff he watched when he was little because I was old enough to actually remember it. So like, mm-hmm. except for the couple of movies that I watched really obsessively. So like I was absolutely obsessed with Beauty and the Beast, for instance, when I was really little. Quite rightly. Um, yes, of course. I identified strongly with Belle. Like, he was really into Sesame Street, and we would watch it in the morning. And, like, that's more what I remember from that than, like, my viewing, which is just kind of interesting when you have a little sibling. And, like, the the child's television and movie content that I sort of most remember was from, like, slightly after when I was young enough to be, like, that into it myself. And I was still, like, a kid. It just wasn't, like, when I was four, you know? I am both curious and potentially alarmed to find out what the current children's programming is when the baby arrives because like obviously youtube is a hellhole and that baby is not getting to watch any fucking youtube because anyone who has read any coverage recently of children's media on youtube knows that it is a great way to poison your brain but like what is the current sesame street we're gonna find out hopefully it's not completely unbearable because we're all gonna have to watch it (laughs) well i mean the state of children's movies is pretty grim because whenever I see something, whenever I go to see a kid's film in the cinema, the ads for other children's films are just like, oh dear God, this is I appalling. would, however, add that that is the same for adult movies. <laughs> yes, but there is a much wider range True. of things that we can just go find. Whereas yeah, you're just going to have to gonna have to get some just Japanese cartoons, I think. Yeah, because... Like, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and one of the hosts was singing the praises of Paddington 2, rightly so. And he oh, was yes. basically like, you know, he has young children. He was like, I just love this so much because we could actually go to something that was good. I was like, oh. I saw Paddington 2 again yesterday, and um, it is truly one of the best films of the year. We didn't talk about it on this podcast, but I mean... That is that is the peak of children's entertainment. I watched Baba Treasure Island, Paddington 2, and the new Spider-Man movie. Which- okay, that kind of explains also why you perhaps were slightly more down on yeah. this film. Because I was like, it's a perfectly fun movie, but it's like, those two films are literal masterpieces. Yes. But it was interesting because I obviously don't spend a great deal of time watching movies aimed at children. And watching three in one day, it was just an interesting exercise. Because I was like, oh, yeah, there are like different strategies and approaches for doing this and the sort of like the jokes for grown-ups were which was is still a thing that happens but was much more apparent as a strategy in mm-hmm. the Muppet Treasure Island one and that was very much like a 90s thing I mean like, I think that's very much a Pixar thing because well, they know that like there's a huge number of adults watching I movies. see Pixar I think just makes movies for grown-ups that's my theory about Pixar oh yeah and they're just they're just marketed as for kids because yes. Americans don't understand that animation is for adults correct <laughs> And, like, not that that strategy of, like, having the jokes for grown-ups is, like, gone now. Obviously, that is not the case. But 
the sort of very obvious, like, this is a joke for the parents in the audience thing. Mm. I remember my parents commenting on that when I was growing up. And some of the movies that I have seen since from that era, it's pretty clear that that was happening in a kind of unsubtle way. And that's very much the case with the Muppet film. And it's not a critique. It's just a thing that, that was done. Like there are all of these sort of fourth wall breaking asides in the yes. this Muppet uh-huh. movie. That Although are very the fourth funny. wall is very much the Muppets MO. Yes. Well, no, I'm, I know. And I've seen that in other Muppet stuff, but the fourth wall breaking asides will be, or like the sort of, they're the rats on the ship or like on a cruise like a twenty, like a twentieth century cruise that has nothing to do with like the story, and there are all these jokes that you know the kids don't have any under, like no idea what's going on. And I was like, oh, that's to keep the parents entertained, <laughs> like, um, and like Paddington Two, for instance, doesn't do that because it's just it's just funny, like it's it's just not as bisected, I think, um, which is interesting. It's again, it's not like a bad thing. Did I, I tell it... you about Mirai? No. Yeah, so that's um, it's a Japanese animated movie that I saw at the London Film Festival this year and I think just came out in the US um, in theatres. And I thought that was a really interesting example of something that's simultaneously for like very small kids and for genuine adults, but like without doing the sort of, oh, here's like an adult joke kind of thing. Um, because the, the kind of main character is a three or four year old boy and the concept is that he's sort of, he's jealous because his parents have just had a new baby and he's not getting as much attention. And he sort of deals with this by traveling through a wormhole and communicating with his family's past lives. You know, that can, it's, it's a fantasy concept, but um, the framing is just so delightful because it's a really well-observed, funny, charming depiction of like a three-year-old having very three-year-old style emotions. Um, and you really understand his mindset. And I was like, this is amazing. Like you're completely getting in there with like the things that he cares about so much that like don't matter at all. And also a really good depiction of just like exhausted new parents trying to like juggle their jobs <laughs> and stuff. And I was just like, you have really nailed the ability to make a movie that any age can identify with in some way. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I've heard good stuff about that. I didn't really know what it was about. I've just heard big people mm. saying positive things about it. I should look at i should find it um add it to my growing list of movies from this year to try to watch that i will never never achieve do we have any final thoughts on the muppets i i don't think so i think we have covered treasure island um thank you to amelia for suggesting this topic um we're sorry we didn't have time to watch a christmas carol as well to have like a double muppet feature but yeah, we've also got some other children's movie racks in there, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I do think this is like a fun movie. I, it just, you know, my critical faculties are sometimes overwhelming. <laughs> uh, and you should watch Paddington too. Also, everyone. Obviously, one of the best films of the year. Next week, we will be discussing something to be determined. I don't think we have decided yet. I hope you've all had an enjoyable holiday. And we will be back with new stuff. So uh, thank you all so much for listening this year. We really appreciate it. And uh, if you would like to support us on Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast. You can also find us at our website, overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, and on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.